We should be looking at each other. Or yeah, we'll look at each other. Yeah. We'll look at each yeah, other. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry about the camera. Most important is the audio, but I like to have the video, video just, well. uh, and I'll, I'll post the video as well, but more important that we have a great conversation yeah. and yeah, it should be great. Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am here with Dr. Suhas. Doctor, it's a pleasure. Thank you. So for those listening, I've had the great pleasure over the course of the last week to, um, to bathe in your wisdom, if you will. Not, and I know you're a very humble person, so, but I would say, you know, there's that, that, uh, that old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And as someone who studied Ayurveda some 20 plus years ago, it was a true honor to be able to uh, sit here and to learn with you over the course of the last week. So thank you, Doctor. And uh, it was a pleasure to be with you also. I was very impressed with your curiosity, your willingness to learn, and the work that you're doing through Peak Mind because it's good to learn, distill the information, simplify it for the people. So I respect your work and wish you great success. Thank you. Um, thank you, doctor. I wanna start by, for those listening who may not have context into what Ayurveda is, can you start by just sharing a little bit about uh, the science of life that is Ayurveda? I think Ayurveda, as we know, is one of the most ancient and one of the most comprehensive system of healthcare that is known to humanity. It predates back somewhere close to five to six thousand years ago. And it's a philosophy of life. Okay, the, the literal meaning of the word Ayurveda, Ayu means life, Veda means knowledge. So it's a, it's a science of life. How do you live your life? It's like a manual what to eat, how to live, how to interact with, with the forces of nature, how to respect and abide by the laws of nature. It's the laws of right living to a certain extent, your mind, emotions, your spiritual connections, and everything that you do in order to participate in your own health and well-being. And I think the biggest understanding of Ayurveda is as a true natural medicine. It understands us as, as a total entity which is which is made in and made up by nature itself and how do we nurture and nourish our body and how do we interact that's that physical body is something that our own individual responsibility and everyone who is mindful of everything that they do in their daily living is what ayurveda is it's understanding the elements understanding the doshas paying attention to the systems of the body. <clears throat> and that's the reason why it has been around for thousands of years. It has stood the test of the time. And now, even with the latest scientific research that is coming out, every point that we see is revalidating the ancient principles of Ayurveda to a certain extent. Mm. I think one, what occurred to me as you're sharing 
and something that I've been contending with is this notion of being attuned with nature. And I think in this context of modern day life, you know, there's a, a quote by Terence McKenna that I think is, is interesting where he said, the world has changed more since 1992 than it did in the previous thousand years um, with the advent of, te- of the internet and technology. We're now obviously in some ways demarcating time in, in new ways, you know, by tweets and posts and emails. And what I found so profound over the course of the last week is to move consciously or mindfully more in accordance with the circadian rhythm and more in accordance with the sun and this ancient uh, way of living that is more commensurate with the natural rhythm, if you will. But I know that some listening may say, okay, how from the perspective of someone who is you know, living perhaps in a city or, and, and working nine to five or has the demands of modern life, how does one start to come more in tune with and live more in accordance with these natural cycles, which are so um, integral to Ayurvedic life? I, I fully agree with what you said since 1992. I would even say from 2004, 2005, mm. the life is very different that it has evolved in last 10, 15 years itself. I think it's the busyness and uh, we we find a term where I practice in the Bay Area is is time poverty. People don't have time for themselves and there's almost scarcity of time which is the busyness is taking precedence over your individual health. We are putting every physiological function into a faster lane because we are we are using time in order to maximize money mm. and I think that's that's a, that's a problem. In 18th century we started quantifying labor with clocking time in and out and that's where we started quantifying time how much you put effort into and what how much productive you become. So now we are the work times have disappeared in a way. Mm. You are either working or not working, you're online or offline. And so the boundaries have become completely invisible to work. And it is toying with the physiological function. In other words, it is, it is affecting the circadian rhythms of what you do at what time. And I think the timing is so important because what we know for now is time is embedded in our genes. And we are literally time machines, which we respond to the cycles of day and night. And this is not a new principle. In 2017, uh, they received a Nobel Prize for discovering clock genes that talked about how the time body tells time. But Ayurveda has been talking about for ages and ages together, even worshipping sun. You wake up in the morning, you just go out as soon as you wake up and expose yourselves to light, even for a few minutes, that resets your biological clock. You wake up with sun and you slowly wind down with sunset and thereafter. So your whole routine should be synchronized with what mother nature is doing. And I think that's a, that's a unique concept because way even before we started talking about clock genes, we started realizing that the body is carrying out certain functions throughout the day with the cycles of what is happening outside your window. And if you're not supporting that, if you're doing certain things in your own way, then you're disrupting what the body's trying to do. And where we are currently, that 
the epidemic that we see of obesity, diabetes, hypertension, coronary artery disease, even cancer, about 70-80% of the chronic diseases that we see are lifestyle diseases. Mm. And I think Ayurveda is the original lifestyle medicine. It just tells you how to style life so that you can maximize your health and vitality. So this challenge that we are talking about, and I understand that we are into a busy phase of life and everybody needs to work and pay their bills, but I think it is, it is important for you to really realize and prioritize few things because by the time you realize, especially with the millennials, okay, I think if, if time is money, millennials are literally broke mm. okay, because they have literally mismatched what to do at what time. And this time poverty is becoming so big of a factor. If you don't have time for yourself, why are you doing all this? Mm. And I see so many patients in my practice just disruptions in circadian rhythms is creating variety of diseases that they are not even aware of. So from the ancient techniques that we talk about, even worshiping sun, doing sun salutations, waking up your day with sunrise, uh, eating your main meal of the day in the middle of the day, winding down after sunset, engaging yourself into some mindful activities to interact with the rhythms of nature, to pay attention to the changes of the seasons that is happening around you and what you can do. So it's the synchronization, and as we call it, is living in accordance with the laws of nature. That's what Ayurveda is. Because we are infinitely connected our microcosm and macrocosm. There's a saying in Ayurveda which says yatha pinde tatha brahmande. Mm. As is the microcosm, so is the macrocosm. As is your individual spirit, so is the cosmic spirit. As is your individual intellect, so is the cosmic intellect. What can you do to bring more and more alignment into those? That is the science. That's when you participate in your own health and well-being. And I think it's even more needed now than even before. Mm. Because I jokingly tell many of my patients for a fast acting relief, try slowing down. <laughs> and, and I think slowing down helps you really pause and ponder and think. And it's not that you become unproductive by slowing down. You actually become even more effective. You become even more creative because it comes from the depth of your consciousness, everything that is happening. And I think that's what Ayurveda is. Ayurveda is, a consciousness-based approach to health and well-being. Mm. And, and everything that you do in order to, what we call it as an enlightened living, is slowly making you healthy automatically. There's so much you shared there that was, I think, so rich. What occurred to me as you were speaking is, I feel like there's a movement, if you will, towards mindfulness, right? And, and obviously mindfulness and meditation, I'd asked you earlier, you know, if there's one thing that was you could do that would have perhaps the most, you know, pivotal shift or exponential change in your life, what would it be? And you shared with me, you know, meditation and a, and a committed meditation practice. And I've been meditating, you know, now for about 25 years. I would not say by any means I'm an expert, but, uh, you know, I definitely do have a practice. But what I felt with Ayurveda is it's almost translating that from a mindful 10 minutes to a mindful life like okay. it's it's like I'm moving through my day now as if I am in that mindful practice and what I've found is in terms of my thinking um, the the way that I feel um, I it's there's a noticeable change eating these you know pranic rich energy rich foods you know 
the last the last week I've gone to sleep, you know, 30 10, 10.30 at night and woken up early. And I've practiced what you shared, you know, taking these walks yeah. in nature, getting that sunshine uh, first thing in the morning. And and basically moving more in accordance with that natural rhythm. And I have felt noticeable shifts already in, in one week. And so I encourage those listening to, to start with these practices. But I wanna tap in also on something you shared around, you know, a lot of what medicine is talking about now is we have these genetic proclivities, right? So, you know, we have the genetics we're given. Um, but that so much of the aspects of our health that we can control are actually rooted in our epigenetics and, and in, in our lifestyle, right? In, our, in what we eat and how we live. And so, for example, many of those listening will know that my father, for example, had dementia. And mm -hmm. so, you know, one of the corollaries to dementia, for example, is the APOE3, you know, mm -hmm. allele. And yes, it can increase your genetic likelihood of cognitive decline. But, you know, as they say, you can have a loaded gun, but never pull the trigger. Absolutely. And so what I what's been because I, I have seen and I, I know many of my listeners because they've reached out to me have seen, you know, disease, friends of theirs or, or family members who have had cancers, friends or family members, in my case, for example, um, who have had dementia mm -hmm. and some of these very debilitating diseases. And they say, for example, with dementia, that that it onsets 40 years before you even see the first symptom. That's good. So, you know, so it's actually very relevant for someone like myself. And so what I would love to know is, as you think about some of these epigenetics, as we as we can take control of our own health and ha and take control in a way of our own destiny, which we thought for a long time that we didn't that, we, that, that these certain things were destined, but actually now we know we have control, we have efficacy. What are some of the the practices that you find to be or 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 ways of being that you find to be most helpful in um, in taking this health, if you will, back into our own hands, can you can you break? I that think down? I think uh, <clears throat> it's a very interesting way of looking at it because uh, we were talking about genetics that you are prone for some things, and what we have painfully realized now with the modern medicine is about ninety five percent of our genes can be regulated with what you do, what you eat, how you live, how you think, how you behave, how you act. Only about four to five percent of the genes are deterministic, where you are prone to have a disease because you have a very, very strong tendency to have a disease. So uh, Ayurveda is an epigenetic uh, science to a certain extent. And one of the most important key of understanding yourself is what Ayurveda talks about your doshas and your mind-body types to really understand that what is the predominant dosha or the elemental structure that you are made up of. Whether you are more of an air predominant person, what we call it as vata, whether you are a fire predominant person, which is pitta, or a water and earth predominant person, what we call it as kapha. So once you know this, you know what your mind-body tendency is. And if you create a conducive lifestyle to keep that doshic tendency in balance, just to give an example, that Vata people who is an air predominant personality, they tend to get a little bit more ungrounded. 
they have difficulty to manage their sleep or their routine or they have a tendency to a dryness if these people are paying attention to good quality sleep warm cooked grounding foods adding enough oil to their diet doing some oil massage finding some time to be a little bit more relaxed and not feel pressured and things like that and engage into practices to really find some happiness in their life through meditation through interacting with the company all of that will slowly minimize the tendency what you are prone to have the same like a pitta person which is a fire predominant person if they are engaging into an inflammatory lifestyle that excessive amount of caffeine or alcohol or very busy work with lot of deadlines and lot of busy activity which makes them even more cranky and irritable you will turn on all those genes that will create inflammatory diseases autoimmune conditions and things like that so still in modern medicine we are not realizing that what we are made up of that we have a tendency to be prone for certain things and the simple rule is bring in the opposite that's the simple rule from an ayurvedic perspective is that right to in order to heal and restore the balance bring in the opposite quality if you're dry bring in some moisture and oleation if you're hot bring in coolness if you're heavy bring in lightness so the medicine has to be simple the lingo has to be simple where you should be able to alter and modify those things yourself and it does boil down to you asking yourself a question that why am i feeling this way what have i done in the last few weeks or few months which might be contributing for me to feel inflamed like this or dry or ungrounded like this or feeling a little bit dull blocked congested and static or stagnant like this and if you can start bringing in the opposite principle at your own level you can very well minimize and manage those conditions so i think number one to answer your question is to understand your mind body type that's one key the second thing is pay attention to the very basic fundamentals of diet sleep and exercise those are the pillars of health from an ayurvedic perspective and whatever you are doing so the food that you consume the nutrition that you consume from every field of perception i would say what you ingest every experience goes in you are just the metabolic end product of everything that you have seen or experienced in life you are the metabolic end product of everything that you have experienced in your life this by the way i just want to pause on this one because this you said this during the weekend and it really hit me right because we think about okay you know perhaps how our food may affect us but you're bringing a whole 360 holistic perspective that that ostensibly we are the product of the sum of our experiences Absolutely. and and how we metabolize how we digest how we process that right so if we have unprocessed trauma that stays with us you know uh, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about that the root of addiction is often in unprocessed trauma, you know? Yeah. Animals on the savanna of Africa, you know, if a lion attacks a gazelle, a gazelle shakes it off and moves beyond that trauma so it doesn't actually, you know, and then they can be mindfully in the next moment <laughs> if, they, if they're lucky enough to escape that trauma. So, but unfortunately humans, I think we hold on to many of these experiences and we don't effectively metabolize. And I think the key is awareness is the key to reinvent and transform your life. if you are aware of what the nature of the trauma is if you are able to process maybe with some help but if you can do that reprocess reprogram and i think change the perceptions how you are taking in how you are walking through the quagmire of life and how you are interacting because it's how you react to a given situation is who you become mm-hmm. 
And if we are consciously regulating the, the reactivity to every situation, we are pausing and buffering how it goes into our system. Mm -hmm. You don't really let the things that you experience go into your body as is, but you have the option to look at it, to twist it, to filter it, and ingest things that you like, which is positive, and not really take in something which is going to make you a bitter, toxic person. Mm. And that will only happen when you are self-aware. That will only happen when you are a little bit more mindful. So I think uh, diet ingestion is so important. And I think people, when they start regulating, and we may say that this is an esoteric science, this is all spiritual, this is not related with medicine, but this is the hardcore medicine. I see so many people who bring physical diseases because what is going on in their life. Mm -hmm. They're going through painful uh, relationship challenges, they're having financial crunch, they're having some, some problems with their jobs and things, and it is resulting into migraines and autoimmune conditions, so forth and so on. And as we slowly help them unwind from that situation, look them differently, reprogram them, reprioritize their health and start helping them become a better human being. And I think that's the wisdom of Ayurveda. Ayurveda helps you. It also introduces you to yourself, who you are, and how you, how you are taking in, and how you are making your mind. And that's the good thing about peak mind, is that right? Mm. Mind has the ability to control itself, to discipline itself, to regulate itself. Whether you are doing enough to make it a sharp tool or you're making it blunt where it's easily falling prey to anything it wants and it's just slowly down the drain thereafter. So it's just one way it goes where it can really take you to the path of evolution and enlightenment and the other way it goes it can go to sensory indulgence and so forth and so on and weakening the powers of your mind. We call it as manas shaktis. So the strength of the mind when it starts becoming weaker and feeble then you don't have any control to regulate what you want, whether you want to keep on doing what things are good for you or you want to cultivate good habits. And, and that's the reason why I says meditation, mindfulness, slowing down, spending time in nature, realizing what is true and what is really purposeful and meaningful. Those are things that we don't talk about in conventional medicine, but they are the root cause of what bugs people at times. And I think the fusion of spirituality and the philosophy of life with medicine is what Ayurveda is. It's so powerful because in my experience, and not to um, slander in any way Western medical practice, but you know the common doctor's visit now I think is maybe seven or eight minutes now, and, uh, and oftentimes it's just focused on an acute condition. No, it's not a holistic yeah. uh, you know, assessment. I sat with you and, 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 and your wife, Dr. Manisha, and had an incredible assessment, you know, hour-long uh, conversation around the holistic aspects of, of, my, of my life. And when I go to the, my doctor, who, who's an amazing doctor, but, you know, generally five minutes in and out, okay, what's wrong with your arm, you know? And, you know, there's things I feel like that are powerful. You know, if I have a broken arm, that could be a perfect solution. But I think for the overall nature of our health, and how we manage it, right? I think the Western uh, approach 
not to distill it too simply, but is often around symptom management and you know fixing an acute you know uh, you know break, if you will. But oftentimes, to get at the root and actually prevent to prevent the onset of many of these diseases, I don't think we have this this holistic approach or lifestyle orientation. Um, in our culture as, as much as I think it would be uh, beneficial for us. And so for, for me, when I see something like Ayurveda, you know, I have I, had the good fortune of interviewing some functional medicine doctors and I, you know, there's this movement in biohacking, if you will. There is, I think, uh, an orientation now towards how do we prevent some of these conditions. But to go to a, a time-tested, you know, a th multi multiple thousand-year-old tradition that stood the test of time, and to actually do something that's so, in a way, I mean, it's it's complex, but it's so simple in the way that you dis you distill it, you know, an orientation towards how we our breath, you know, and pranayama, and yeah. how integral uh, oxygen and bringing in clean air is, you know, the the notion of the elements being being so foundational to our own types and how we are nature, and and then therefore how can we align most, you know, uh, commensurate with the natural systems, and and this idea of opposites as as medicine, I think, is is so powerful. Um, how do people, for for example, if they're if they're just learning about Ayurveda? Um, you know, you mentioned these different doshas. Can you explain a little bit more about what the doshas are? I, for example, when I did an assessment, I realized I'm Pitta Kapha, so I have a fire uh, orientation. Um, but can you share a little bit more about what the doshas are and how they can help people to understand their individual nature? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> there are several things that you said are very interesting to me. Number one is uh, the multimodality approach to helping people, talking with them, guiding them as a friend, as a philosopher, as a guide, as a medical practitioner is very important mm. because you feel as if you're talking to a friend who really knows you well. Mm. And I think that's where the healing happens. Mm. Healing doesn't happen when you're just looking at a symptom or a disease only. You have to understand the person in totality. Mm. And that is when you will, you will respond to anything, I would say. So that is, that is one thing. There's a saying in Ayurveda where it's easier to change the person than change the disease. Mm -hmm. So you should just work on fixing the person and the disease will fade away automatically. Mm -hmm. Going back to doshas, which is a key component of really knowing about yourself, means we are, the whole universe is made up of five basic elements, space, air, fire, water, and earth. And these five elements constitute everything that we see in the universe. But just to simplify the lingo and the language in Ayurveda, we say that the combination of space and air is what the dosha called as vata is made up of. Vata is predominantly air and space together. Pitta, which is the other dosha, is a combination of fire and water together. So like vata, when we say the space and air, the whole body is just open, empty space. It's just srotas, it's the flow of energy. So restoring the flow, opening the energy to flow, where circulation, communication, nervous conduction, it's just the flow. It's the exchange of intelligence from mother nature that is regulated by vata. What you take in, food, air, water, is distributed everywhere evenly to all the cells and tissues, is governed by vata. So the circulatory, the moving principle that we call in our body is the air principle or vata. Pitta is fire and water combination. 
there is no chemistry possible in the body without water. Is that right? And pitta is a dosha which governs all the chemical reaction, all the biochemical reactions. The hormones, the enzymes, the digestive juices, bile, pancreatic juice, hydrochloric acid, it's water and fire. Is that right? Mm. So it's the combination of fire and water that carries out all the functions of metabolic conversion. Food into body tissues, whatever you take in and convert into matter is governed by pitta. And the material force, what you create, the structure, the cohesion, the lubrication is governed by the water and earth principle, which we call it as kapha. Kapha is something which makes you dense and strong and tall and hefty and big muscles and big bones and that is the quality of the kapha. Pitta is the quality of the energy and conversion. Vata is the principle of movement. So the first thing is you can go to uh, my website ayurvedichealing.net and take a quiz to find out about your dosha. You can even go to chopra.com and do a mind-body quiz and find out about your doshas. If you have an access to an Ayurvedic practitioner, go and find out. That's easy thing to do. But once you know who you are, like now you know Pitta and Kapha. So Pitta is fire and Kapha is water. So if you can keep the water releasing from your system where you don't become puffy or swollen or you don't really retain water and you release the heat and the water together by doing some degree of sweating, by engaging into food that are bitter, astringent in taste, that those are the tastes that pacify the pitta itself and you engage into a routine which will help you not feel pressured or not probably feel stressed out running around trying to do many things improve the quality of sleep because sleep is one of the most potent anti-inflammatory activity that anybody will ever do. The most potent anti-inflammatory activity would be sleep. And so that is one thing. So the exercise that you do instead of just running around and doing too much of physical activity where it'll, you'll be prone for inflammation and create pockets of inflammation in the body, you do something which is more gentle and flowing. Focus more on breathing doing exercise with the flow could be yoga could be tai chi could be doing something so once you know about who you are and you create a conducive lifestyle to what is right for you it could be different for your spouse or for your kids but knowing few things about yourself and doing those are the key mm-hmm. and i think i think that's that's what we are learning we are it's an education it's Ayurveda and Ayurvedic sessions are almost like education where you know few things about yourself. What to do, what to prioritize, what things are to, you need to stay away from and how to react to certain things. You know what are the challenges that you often face and how you're going to mitigate those things. So I think, I think it's, uh, it's easy in a way and it's difficult in a way because then you have to do something. What we have trained right now to many of my patients is they come to me, my headache is your headache, fix me. Mm. And I'm not going to do anything for that. So until and unless you know and you are able to participate in your own health and well-being, that's the true health maintenance organization. You just hit it on the head for me because I think we've been trained and encultured really into a tradition of passive medicine, right? I mean, you go to a doctor and it's like, I feel no power. In fact, as I think about it, it's like, it's almost like going to a mechanic, you know, when you know nothing about a car, you're like, yeah. uh, I don't know, fix, you know, fix it. And I think so many people now, unfortunately, are, are oriented towards a pill mentality where it's like, okay, give me a prescription 
and somehow that will, and even it doesn't oftentimes fix the root cause, it's just a symptom management, but we are oriented towards, okay, just what's gonna get me back as fast as possible into my stressful, fast-paced life, yeah. rather than truly taking on both the responsibility, but also the empowerment of, of, of driving our own ship, of, of, of really being at cause and creating our own, our own health. And I, I feel like, and I know that's the case for a lot of people that listen to the show, you know, we are interested in, okay, we've been given this beautiful vessel, which is uh, the gift of this life, you know, this body, this mind, this spirit. And, you know, we are navigating in unprecedented times. So what are the, what are the tools, the traditions, both whether they be ancient or, or modern, that can help us navigate this, this life most powerfully? And for me, there's very few tools that I've experienced that are as powerful as Ayurveda because it's, it's, it's one, stood the test of time, but two, it feels, you know, just as you would say in the context of the dosha that you look for the opposite to bring about a healing. I feel like modern life and living actually in some ways Ayurveda is a beautiful opposite because it draws That's us correct. back from the, the heat and stress and freneticness of, of day-to-day life in the modern world and technologically yeah. you know, dominant world back into that place of nature and, and moving more in accordance with the natural world and natural law. So to me, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I think, I think uh, you brought up a beautiful point, which is uh, spending more and more time in nature mm. because that is the biggest healing force that we have that we are not utilizing it properly. Mm. Even you interacting with the elements of nature. Again, the same space, air, fire, water and earth. That's what we are made up of. We feel absolutely at home when you are at a beach, when you are looking at a mountain top, greenery, valleys, things like that, lakes, forest. Just spending time outdoors resets the circadian clock, resets the biological rhythms. You just feel innately happy. Mm. Okay, and that's the key. I recently saw a patient who came to see me for constipation, for insomnia, was feeling anxious and anxiety and having dryness of skin and has had few patches on the skin. And after seeing everything, I gave them a little diet to add a little bit more ghee to their diet, to add some oils, to do the oil massage, to go to bed at a proper time, um, give them a little bit of a potion to drink at bedtime, uh, told them a few things and they said that why are you not giving me something for constipation? Why are you not giving me some kind of a pill or a herb for, for insomnia or something for my skin to get better? And I think the concept is the underlying dot, the dosha which is doing all of this is vata imbalance. And if I can fix that, everything goes away. So the, the notion in Ayurveda is go to the root cause of the problem mm. instead of just fixing constipation or the dry skin or the light sleep or insomnia. If I go back to balancing vata, all of these things will fall in the right places. So I think it's a, it's a good way of helping and guiding people to really go back and, and analyze and understand how they can manage it and how they can balance it. But another important aspect of Ayurveda is what can you do to really engage into finding a balance between not only the mind-body, because those are the polarities opposite. Mm. 
okay your mind can take you on a wild ride your body can be drifted into a state of imbalance feeling toxic tired dull heavy and you're trying to either fix the body or control mind and you won't go very far mm. you have to bring in the spiritual solution to the crisis that we feel in the mind and body and in any session of ayurveda or medical session if we can give them and introduce them to a spiritual experience from there they can effortlessly balance the those opposite forces of mind and body mm -hmm. and this is my experience for the last 30 years that as soon as i introduce them to to self awareness mindfulness meditation they give up smoking or drinking or reduce their unwanted caffeine intake they look at their relationship differently they use their time wisely they prioritize the things that are important for us they carve out some time some me time for their physical health before they start the day in the morning as they unwind the day in the evening and if you are able to do that i think i think that's the key yeah. because we are at a situation where the pandemic has taught us that no country in the world however rich or powerful it is is going to take care of everyone okay so until and unless you are being responsible for your own health and well-being i think it's not going to solve the problem mm. and not only it just fixes your health but it just makes you a better human being it makes you creative it makes you productive it makes you in alignment with respecting what mother nature is doing and what you are trying to achieve and fulfill many people come to me and they want to uh, find a natural solution for their unnatural living which is so difficult <laughs> beautifully said yeah it's uh, we are living in many ways unnaturally and when we return to nature at least for me i call it sort of signal and noise you know because i love this music metaphor but i feel like oftentimes we we live in a very noisy world and there's so many uh there's so many things competing for our attentions and yeah. and that noise can become uh, overbearing but for me it's like okay when we return to signal which for me happens i would say most poignantly when i go to nature anytime i'm starting to feel super off balance my head is congested i'm i'm besieged by too many messages too much stress you know i'll go to a body of water i'll go i'll go in in the in the you know in the ocean if i'm close by or in a lake or i go to a tree even when i lived in new york city i would just go to union square or i would go to you know central park and put my feet in the grass you know and for me at least i found that though that brought me back to my center you know and from my center i could return to that place of of signal you know and when i'm in signal then i can hear the music the music that's calling me that's my unique song if you will but also the the music of others that are in resonance you know because i think oftentimes whether it be people that are not nutritious if you will you know toxic people yeah. whether it be um toxic behaviors you know thoughts which unfortunately which i'd love for you to talk a little bit about because i know you you shared some statistics around mental health that i found uh shocking um you know we're losing we're losing our our signal you know we're losing we're getting too much uh confounded by the noise so to me at least nature is is for me the most powerful way of returning to center and and returning to a place where i can be in the listening and 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 be in alignment around what my next move is in accordance with i think a true north that is 
for me at least my own spirit spiritual orientation and spiritual discipline um but i'd love for you to talk about that like how do you see um we, we are in a in sort of an a pandemic if you will of 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 mental you know a health mental health crisis and a lot of people have lost their way mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about um some of the what you're seeing both from a mental health perspective as well as as some of the 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 ways in which we can approach that most helpfully well i think um i really liked your analogy about uh, the noise and the signal mm. and you have a choice to avoid the noise i often ask people that how many of you do check your phones first thing in the morning as soon as you wake up mm. and i think that's the worst way to start your day because you are you are allowing someone else through their text or email or messages or whatever you are seeing to really destabilize your physiology whatever you are waking up from a good night sleep you're just allowing them to toy with your physiology every biochemical hormones functions endocrine is affected with whatever you are looking at good bad ugly anything of that kind it's just going to increase even more cortisol surge because if you're going to do that so maybe an hour or so or even 30 minutes as soon as you wake up in the morning don't touch your phone mm. that's simple as that same way before you go to sleep the last thing that you do before you go to sleep if you are watching a, a violent movie or checking your phone or responding to some emails will linger and affect your sleep for the whole night mm. you may not be even aware of it so if you can stay away from that noise first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening that's a huge solution because what you're talking about mental health and we see it's number two cause of death between the age of 10 and 24 mm-hmm. suicide is the 10th cause of death in this country okay and this is the most rich and powerful country in the world and so for us to see that 25 to 27 veterans kill themselves every day okay so there is definitely a uh, a processing imbalance that is going on with our society with the social conditioning and the tender nervous system kids 5 10 15 years of age are so influenced with what is going on in the social media they are just constantly having a roller coaster ride of of someone making them feel good they are living into a little bit of a different virtual reality which doesn't make a whole lot of sense and they are allowing that to affect their internal state and not only those people even adults who are living a pseudo life to certain extent what you project then what you are mm-hmm. you are creating a big gap between what who you are and what you project to the world and everything and and i think that that challenge the society the conditioning that we are having is putting enormous strain so regulating your thoughts practicing meditation spending more time with nature outdoors doing something light and mindful before you go to sleep cultivating better quality sleep which helps you not only recharge your batteries but reprogram your mind that's what we don't realize the best way to improve the quality of the sleep focus concentration is how you recharge your nervous system how you give a rest to your nervous system so these ancient tools that we practice even as simple as walking 
alternate use of the body, right and left, doing yoga, alternate nostril breathing, using the right and the left hemisphere of the brain, regulating sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, creating a community where you feel loved and nurtured and heard, and paying extra attention to what is in your plate, what you're doing. The activities should be filling and regulating your prana in the body, the force of life. Everything should be equated that what am I doing is nurturing my prana, the innate life force in my body. Whether it is laughter, whether it is meditation, whether it is walking barefoot in the green grass, as you say, or swimming in ocean or lake or pools or whatever, anything interaction, if it's nurturing that prana, that makes you feel good. That makes every cell of your body alive. The vibrancy of the food, the vibrancy of the nutrition, because I think that is the terrible, terrible problem that we have created. Mm. I think the industrial foods and the toxicity and the package, process, additives, colors, all of that thing is devitalizing our life force. It's making everything so subdued and weak and toxic and tired. And we are trying to replenish that with chemicals, with supplements, with some kind of thing. The best source of all the vitamins and minerals and bioflavonoids and phytonutrients is right there in the food and the mother, mother nature that gives you. So food is one of them. Second is movement, physical movement, improving circulation, bringing back the lymphatic circulation back into your heart, allowing the nervous system to move, relax, be pleasantly tired. I think, I think we can't sing enough praises of what physical movement and exercise do to you. It releases endorphins. It's the best way to, to probably uh, dispel depression, I would say. Mm. And it doesn't cost you anything. Is that right? So the real true medicine, fun, laughter, meditation, good clean food, exercise, it should not cost you a whole lot, but it should be a part of everyday living. And it's, it's pathetic for us to even remind people of these are the, these are the most important things that we should go back. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we have an Ayurvedic session with anything, along with what we look at their mind body type, doshas and things, I do something what is called as um, Vedic medical astrology. It's an interesting technique that uh, I practice as an Ayurvedic doctor, as, an, as a medical astrologer, I would say, is to enter your date, place and time of birth and see where they are in the grand scheme of things. And we do what we call it as life encompassing counseling, as we are telling them about their health and diseases. But we also look at how their childhood was where they're coming from, how happy or unhappy they were in the first 10, 15 years. Where did they grow up? Their relationship with their parents, their first job, their college time, who they become, their relationship. You look at all of those things and they're all intricately connected with how you live, how you think, how you behave. The conditioning that was created way so early that was set in we are trying to change that by doing counseling using medical astrology. And I think it's a very powerful way that I have learned to really look at their Jyotish chart or the astrological chart, look at their life on a spectrum scale and guide them for health and well-being thereafter. And it works. How, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I find it fascinating to think about how we, you know, ancient cultures oriented their entire lives around the stars you know you if you look at most ancient you know temples buildings what no matter whether you're in mexico or peru or in egypt 
all of these, uh, there was a profound reverence for the celestial bodies, so much so that life was entirely uh, basically orchestrated around the, these, these bodies. No? I mean, I know, for example, when I lived in Sri Lanka, every full moon was a, a holiday, Poya Day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have the solstice, etc. So there's this, also this orientation towards seasonal life and living, which many of us have um, negated. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how the astrological perspective can inform us in navigating our lives in a way that's most attuned to our unique um, resonance? I think uh, whether we like it or not, we live on planet Earth. Mm. Our planet Earth is moving on itself and moving around the sun at a dizzying speed. And our little satellite moon is swirling around Earth. So that movement is creating day and night. Is that right? Mm. So that movement is creating day and night. That movement is creating seasons, the seasons that you talk about in different parts of the world. So the time is changing, the season is changing, the cycles of day and night is changing. And I think the body is responding to all of that. So all the festivals from all the ancient times are around that. So you change of seasons, you celebrate certain festivals in all cultures. They are all timed, programmed along with those changes, along with the seasonal shift, along with different crops and agriculture that you grow in different parts of the world. You rely upon Mother Nature. Sun is the giver of life. Okay, So worshipping sun, understanding the cycles of day and night and understanding the impact of moon, the tidal rhythm, the gravitational rhythm that we talk about, the lunar rhythms that regulate the menstrual cycle in women. And it also has a profound impact on the change of season. So these are heavenly bodies and we think that they are close enough and far enough, but they affect our physiology profoundly. Mm. Okay, means in earlier we used to talk about that when the sunlight hits your retina, it sends signal to a little area in your brain called a suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is the size of a rice grain, okay? In, in your hypothalamus, it's the size of a grain of a rice, which is called a suprachiasmatic nucleus, and it understands, oh, it's daylight, and it sends signals to all the cells and genes in the body that is daylight, start doing certain things. But that was an old school of thought. Now we know with the clock genes, every gene knows what is happening. The plants know it, okay? So they open their leaves at certain time, they close their leaves at certain time. You see the blooming lotus coming out and closing at certain time. Even if you take that plant and put it into a cave with complete darkness, it still opens at dawn and closes at dusk. Hmm. So they are automatically tuned in. Our cells are automatically tuned in. We are responding to all the heavenly bodies around us the movement of stars, the celestial rhythms. And so the astronomy, as we call it, the movement of the stars, planet, the, their speed moving into their orbits, was computed by the Vedic sages and seers thousands and thousands of years ago. This science of Jyotish or Vedic astrology existed somewhere close to the same time, about, I would say, five to 6,000 years ago. It's a part of the the most ancient body of knowledge, which is Vedas, okay? And so they, they computed those rhythms and their movements to mathematical perfection, and more or less the same way we calculate them. What we do in astrology is we look at those calculations when you are born at a given place, you look at 
the rising sign and what the zodiac looked like and you enter that in a horoscope. But thereafter you correlate these planets with almost certain qualities, personifications of certain qualities that this could be expanding, this could be heavy, this could be dulling, this could be stimulating, this could be calming, this could create this and you place them. So you create qualities and the understanding of the planets and then astrology is more like almost like a transpersonal psychology to really understand the impact of these planets as you're moving through life and reading that and understanding that how your mind responds to certain things, how your body responds to certain things, where are the weak spots in your body that you can look into an astrological chart, whether you have weakness in the respiratory system or the digestive system or the musculoskeletal diseases. So in a way you can actually look at how the life is progressing in the grand scheme of things mm. and what you have inherited since the time you are born and what you are prone for and understand your strength, understanding your weaknesses, looking at almost like trends and permutations and combinations that you can literally guide that person. And these sciences are meant to uplift people. Okay, mm. They are not meant for making you even more depressed. They are meant for uplifting you. Anything that puts you, makes you a little bit humble and puts you onto a spiritual path, engages you in the way you live your life. Mm. And I think all the sciences, all the different branches of Vedic literature, uh, the science of music and melodies that we call it as Gandharva Veda, what are the instruments that affect your doshas, what are the right kind of melodies to play at what time of the day. It's all based upon the cycles of nature. Same with the science of building and architecture how your building is oriented to the to the rising and the setting of the sun, how you shape your windows, how you build, how you make a building alive by infusing the prana and the placement properly. Same with physical movement of yoga, same with different techniques of uh, mantras and chantings and sounds because those sounds are, our body is all phonetic. It's just moving at a quantum mechanical level. It just cosmic dust, the particles moving at an electrifying speed and anything which aligns them and correct the distorted patterns of vibrations, that's what makes you feel alive and perfect. And when anything that you're doing creates more noise, creates more chaos, creates more distortion, you're creating more imbalances. Mm -hmm. So as, as an, a Vedic practitioner living and practicing these in this country, I feel it fascinating that how these sciences were all synchronized to perfection. And to embed that into a medical consultation and to guide, to teach, to educate, to empower people with all of that is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I have had hundreds and thousands of clients who have learned this, who have assimilated this, who have changed the way of their living and slowly are living their life in a much, much mindful way. And we see that anyone who is participating who is who is being health conscious not only they become healthy but they become a better human being which take better care of our planet mm. you said something that caused for me an, uh, an interesting epiphany uh, whether true or not i'd love your thoughts one of the things that i've thought about when i think about astrology and I think many do, is it can be both incredibly empowering, but there's also this at least perhaps false belief, but that, oh, if there's something that's not good, that it's somehow um, your destiny. And 
what I thought about as you were talking, because you talked earlier about the microcosm and the macrocosm, right? How our inner world is in many ways a reflection of the outer world and how, um, how those two basically correspond. But I was thinking about, we talked earlier about d DNA, genetics and epigenetics. And I thought as you were talking, in a way it feels like astrology is somewhat analogous to like DNA. In other words, there's a map of your unique nature Absolutely. that is corresponded to this cosmological map. Now, the degree to which that has to be your destiny is actually in some ways commensurate with how you go about then living your life, right? Just as epigenetics enables you to turn on yeah. or off various genes, there are likely ways in which you approach a right lifestyle uh, wherein the destiny can be or the, the, the astrological um, orientation can be either turned on or you can navigate most effectively those elements which perhaps could have been potentially challenging had you not been more mindful. Would you, would you say that's in any way accurate? Is that, a, is that an... Is that I, a, think, I think it's fairly accurate because um, it's what you're listening and from whom you're listening certain things is very important. And that can happen to any field, okay? You can go to uh, a medical practitioners and suddenly he terrorizes you with something and then you are feeling doomed and creating a disease because someone told you to do that. Mm -hmm. We see that all the time in medicine with, with placebo, with nocebo and things like that. You can be healthy and happy because someone encourages you to lead a healthier lifestyle and doesn't really pay a whole lot of attention to what you are actually seeing and guide them what is to be done. Or someone just tells you and makes you even more worried and tense by reading something differently. And that can happen to anything, mm. to any profession. And so astrology is a science, as I said, that the language is very important. Mm. Because I often see people who are feeling a little bit low and distressed in that point in life. That's why they are here to see me or talk to me about something. And it's my moral responsibility to maybe read the chart to understand the challenges what they face, but to really make them feel a little bit more optimistic and hopeful. Mm. I think it's, it's in the vehicle that you carry the information and how I guide them, how I give them the tools to go out and do something and feel optimistic about that is changes the fear. And they leave the door feeling a little bit more optimistic and a little bit more happy that they can deal with this for another year and they have the tools how to do and then they are fine thereafter. So I think the rightful use of that information has a huge impact. And I'm very cautious and everyone should be very cautious mm -hmm. because um, when people trust you, you have to be, you have to uh, ignite the healing process in them, not to really break it down. Yes. There's, there's one thing as we speak about breakdowns that I'd love to have your thoughts on, which is this, which, which plays into what you were sharing about seasons. And that is this notion of cleansing, right? Or purging and how we actually move effectively through breakdowns, okay. um, you know, physiologically perhaps or spiritually. Um, but one of the things that I know that's integral to Ayurveda, which I'm very interested in, in doing, is this, this panchakarma and this, this seasonal, like incorporating into the rhythm of life on a, on a more seasonal basis, how we go about cleansing some of these impurities, whether they, you know, and I don't, I don't know, I would love your thoughts, but 
you know, if we look at things holistically, that, that could be the impurities in our mind that are manifesting in our body. That could be, you know, blockages we've created in our body or just toxins that have accumulated. How does Ayurveda approach um, and what would you recommend as it relates to, as we move from, say, a daily life and daily living towards more, you know, looking at the seasons of the year and how we approach, um, how we approach our own clock more on a long-term basis, but the, the need to sort of purge that which no longer serves us or the accumulation of toxic thoughts, behaviors, you know, foods, such that we can kind of clean the vessel. That's a very good question, Michael. And uh, Panchakarma is the ancient Ayurvedic art of detoxification and rejuvenation. There is no rejuvenation and revitalization possible without detoxification. So the body has daily cycles of renewal and detoxification. Every morning you wake up, you shed, you urinate, you have a bowel movement, you let go of something, you sweat, you cleanse, you detoxify. And that is the natural cycle. Whether however healthier lifestyle you have, you are still accumulating some impurities. Mm. And those impurities are coming from so many things that we are unconsciously exposed to. Could be toxic chemicals, pesticides, fertilizers, additives, preservatives, colors, bad foods, emotional toxicity. It all goes in the carpet of the body. Mm. We call them as issues in your tissues. Mm. And when you're surrounded with these impurities, you need to find a very effective technique of letting those impurities be purged out. And I think the, the art and science of Panchakarma is preparing your body for an easy detoxification without harming the cells and tissues. So you want to remove the water soluble and the fat soluble impurities by giving them some herbal teas to ignite their digestive fire, to do some dietary do's and don'ts to lighten up their diet, to open up the process in the body to find the right possible exit to remove the impurities okay that's one thing we, we do that with our cars is that right every 5000 miles we take it to the garage change the oil loop filter polish get the detailing and then we are happy for another 5000 miles is that right mm. we don't do that with our body the body needs that and the best time to change your oil lube and filters is four times in a year where there are four dates in the calendar which is summer solstice winter solstice spring equinox and fall equinox those are the four dates in the calendar where the nature is on the move. And as the nature is on the move, as the seasons are changing, your doshas are changing. The physiological movement in the body is, is happening where the doshas are preparing for the next season. They're letting go of something that you have accumulated. So like, for example, in the winter, uh, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, people indulge in good or bad things all the way till New Year. And by the time when the spring comes, they actually start paying back for all the mistakes that they have done for the last two, three months. And they, they are releasing mucus and congestion and heaviness. So if the doshas are on the move and you engage into a process of detoxification at that time, you're actually helping the body to get rid of some of the impurities. So you timing a process of cleanse or detoxification for a spring cleanse or a fall cleanse is a very ancient and appealing technique. All the seasons are, are based around those times. All the festivities are based around that time. So for you to really go inward, because whenever you are 
experiencing something that you do for yourself, which might be slight distress that the body is feeling, but in the long run, it's good for you. Mm. And I think that's the problem, especially in this country where I have to feel a little bit bad before I feel good is difficult to digest, okay? And for you to regulate your digestion, maybe drink the herbal tea with doing some bitter energetics, do a castor oil cleanse sometime to let go of certain things, uh, observe uh, some techniques and tools with journaling, with meditation to do an emotional detox at the same time is very powerful. Mm -hmm. It's time to slow down regroup, align your internal rhythms with the rhythms of the nature. So those are the four times a year when you can do that. I like to call it as detox on equinox. Hmm. And I think it's it's one way of resetting your rhythms. Means when I wrote this book, Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, that is exactly what it is. Every opportunity that you can get with sunrise to sunset to sync your rhythms with the rhythms of nature, you should grab it and you will feel the body is absolutely happy. And with the busy schedules, I think that is what is sapping our, our vitality and we fail to really interact in that way. So anyone who is able to do that, I would say at least twice a year in spring and fall, either doing panchakarma or even a home cleanse that you do for seven days. You go lighter on your diet, you do a castor oil cleanse, you do drink some freshly squeezed vegetable juices, you uh, be a little bit more mindful and consciously slow down the pace of life, you will feel phenomenal. Mm. Because you are syncing the rhythms of the nature, what the mother nature is doing, moving from spring and preparing you for summer, and moving from summer preparing you for fall, you are and from fall to winter. So those are the junction points. The junction points are the most important gaps that you need to sync your life with mother nature. Yeah, I mean, ancient cultures would build entire archaeological structures, Machu Picchu, etc., around the equinox. No, it's an entire, you know, basically people were in devotion to these, these, these times. Even in India, we have the sun temple, mm -hmm. we have moon temples and things like that. So they really understood and valued those rhythms because we are a true replica of nature. Mm -hmm. That's who we are. We are not an isolated thing. And I think the mission statement, mission statement of Ayurveda is Ayurveda Amritanam, Ayurveda for immortality. And it's funny that a medical science can talk about immortality, but it's the way to really recognize your immortal self and connect yourself with that greater self to give you a feeling that you're never born and never gone. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, and once you dispel the fear of death and dying and reignite and really use body as a tool towards moksha or enlightenment is, is the very purpose of these sciences. Mm. So beautiful. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. So last couple of questions for this time. Hopefully we, we do this again. I would Absolutely. love it. Um, you talk about this, uh, this notion of changing your schedule. And I, I, I'm sure several who are listening, probably their ears perked up because unfortunately, you, you know, I think our schedule is all over the map. I can say from living the way that I've lived the last week, it was a real um, clarifier because mm -hmm. there are times uh, when I live all, all over the clock, you know, like I, I'll do all nighters or I'll, you know, you know, go to sleep at two in the morning and wake up at 11 in the morning. And um, what I've realized is I didn't I just I didn't even, to be honest, have a notion that that was detrimental in the long term. Um, I just thought, oh, OK, I make up, I'll make up for that. Can you talk a little bit about 
this notion of of our of our schedule and how how aligning our schedule, if you will, with more the circadian rhythms impacts our overall health. I think the question I often ask is: Is your schedule killing you? Mm. Okay, and uh, I see that all the time that their schedule dictates their biological rhythms. There's a term that we use nowadays in medicine called as chronobiology. Mm. Chrono means time. Uh, how the biology responds to the time, to basically circadian rhythms or disruption of those circadian rhythms. So sometimes busyness at the cost of happiness, that's what we are doing. And when we are disrupting some of these things, there are very few simple tools that I laid out in my book um, that what people should be doing, how to realign, because this is fairly hardwired in our physiology. You can't escape this, yeah. okay? You can't escape this because you're living on planet Earth. That's what the season cycles, day and night, in happening. You cannot justify anything that you are an owl or a lark or you're waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm a night person, I'm a morning person. You are what you're exposed to the cycles of day and night. So that's number one. The second thing is when you are trying to sync your daily rhythm with the circadian medicine, the three things are important. The timing is not what you do, but when you do now. Mm. Okay, when you do is so important. And one of the things that I laid out is as soon as you wake up in the morning, number one is you should be staying away from your cell phones or computers or checking your emails in the first half an hour or so, so that you are not unconsciously exposing yourself to the change. And those 30 minutes, what you can do for yourself, and the first thing is if you can really go out and spend some time outdoors and expose yourselves to the light, that's number one. And if you can do a brisk cardio about 20, 30 minutes before the breakfast is a very powerful tool. Can you share, just because Paul, because you shared with me personally, you said exercise before, uh, breakfast. before breakfast. What's the, you said something, 53? It's, it's, it's about 43%, yeah. all causes of mortality diabetes, heart disease, cancer, you working out before breakfast reduces the chances of you having any of these diseases more than 40%. Okay, so you should, you should do a brisk cardio before, and, and the reason being, uh, there's a research that came out which said that those people who are having morning physical activity are, tend to be more active throughout the day. Mm. Everything that do with their body, they're more engaged in purposeful movement throughout the day compared to those people who go for a workout at five o'clock or six o'clock in the evening. Mm -hmm. So, and from an Ayurvedic clock, it's, it's the kapha time of the day. And that's the dosha clock that we talk about. So morning exercise before breakfast is number one. And when you do that, you sync your routines automatically. The second thing that I often tell is you should be having your main meal of the day the main calories that you consume when the sun is at its peak in the middle of the day. Yeah. As simple as that. Your body is 100% related with the, with the movement of sun. When the sun is waking up in the morning, the breakfast has to be light and warm and easy to digest and often cooked. The middle of the day, when the sun is at its zenith, that's when most of the calories you should be consuming. Mm -hmm. The reason is you're going to be active thereafter. You're walking, talking, getting your work done. You're not going to bed or sleeping or anything like that. So you're really active throughout the day and you can digest that. And when the sun is setting in the evening, again, the sunlight is fading away, it's a little bit tender, and the activity that you're going to do thereafter is basically nothing, is that right? Mm. So you're going to sleep. So you should, your dinner should be light. 
So if you can make main uh, calories at lunchtime and lighter breakfast, lighter dinner, I think that's very in sync with the circadian rhythm itself. And one of the things that happens is, and it's beautiful in Ayurveda, the way described in a, in a poetic, lyrical way itself. So they say that uh, your, your heart, your digestive system, almost all your systems are like blooming lotuses. They open up during the day and they shut down in the night. Mm. So when you sleep, your heart rate, pulse rate, respiratory rate, everything shuts down. And if you're putting a big truckload of food at that time, because that's the problem in our society where the biggest calorie that people consume is late in the evening. Yeah. And when I wrote my first book, The Hot Belly Diet, one of the premise was eat late to gain some weight and sleep late to gain some weight. Mm. And if you're doing both, then it's going to create a big problem. Because what happens is you put that big meal in the night and you sleep and everything shuts down. The food stays into your system, literally not getting digested. And then you wake up in the morning with that heavy, dull, groggy feeling that discourages you from doing anything but just loads of coffee and caffeine to get you going. Mm. And that really disrupts your whole cortisol curve because the, what we know from modern medicine that the cortisol surges early in the morning. The blood pressure is, is rising early in the morning, peaking up in the morning. And if you're drinking more caffeine at that time, you're making it even worse you're making the cortisol surge even worse. And then you go from the peak to the valley. Mm. And one of the common symptoms that we feel is fatigue. We, people are feeling tired throughout the day. So number one is exercise. Number two is the main meal of the day. Number three is going to sleep at a proper time. Mm. So you should be ideally finishing your dinner at least three hours before you go to sleep. Because it takes about two to three hours for you to digest the food and completely uh, finish the process of digestion. So by the time you go to sleep, you have digested the food already. Mm. So if you eat at seven and you go to sleep by 10, you're done, okay? And when you sleep at 10 with the food being completely digested, you can effortlessly wake up at 5.30 or six mm. because the body's already feeling light. The body's already feeling light and you have digested the food and the morning bowel movement that happens effortlessly is the key also. Mm. And then what you do in the night, before you go to sleep. What influences your sleep is also important. So I, I tell them to stay away from any blue light, any exposure to television, any exposure to cell phones or iPads or e-readers, anything which is going to uh, probably affect your, your thinking or your, your release of melatonin in the night because melatonin peaks up secreting at around nine o'clock in the evening. And you want to peak up that time so that the last bus that takes you there between 9 and 10. So if you are allowing the body to secrete at that time, then you are doing. But when you are looking at a, at a big lighted, big television, then it gives you a false impression it's daylight. You are looking at a bright light. Mm. And that releases the delay of secretion of melatonin. It starts secreting at 10, 11, 12. And then it continues to stay into your system till nine o'clock in the morning where you're still feeling very dull and heavy. Hmm. So I think you're disrupting your clock and not only you're disrupting your clock, but many activities that happen in the night, immune activity, lipid synthesis, cholesterol regulation, you actually damage that function altogether. Hmm. So syncing your daily activity with what the body is doing I think that's the wisdom. So diet, sleep, and exercise, these are the three things. And then 
interoceptive awareness that's what we talk about what the body is trying to do and how you sync with what the body is trying to do is something very important so you are you are being cultivating a degree of mindfulness and respecting the clock of the body and the dosha clock that ayurveda has talked about thousands of years ago that these are the predominant timings of doshas and you take the latest chronobiological reason you put one top of another it fits like hand and glove together so i think there's a lot of information in these wisdom tradition mm. that is absolutely validated by the latest cutting edge medical research so i don't call ayurveda as an ancient outdated science it's a new age medicine it's a cutting edge science and we are painfully realizing that the personalized medicine the lifestyle medicine nutrigenomics the nutrition what makes your genes behave in certain way these are all ancient ayurvedic principles which are being constantly revalidated mm. means what you do and what kind of doshas does it affect is an age old principle for you to have a pitta pacifying diet or someone else having a vata pacifying diet is is not an old outdated tool it's the practical most cutting edge tool that we talk about and everything that we are telling and guiding regarding emotional health regarding finding your purpose passion engaging people in that discussion about who you are what do you want and where do you want to take your life how are you going to set your intentions what are the areas in your life that you are going to pay attention to is is all medicine mm. is the true healing mm. so poignant and so powerful it is it's the personalized medicine you know it, it is you see we see with meditation you know this has been practiced for thousands of years and now you know harvard research is validating you know neuroplasticity and all of the benefits things, yeah. that that come with it um i'd love to first of all before, i want to get into where people can find you and you know your clinic which i would love to come to your books all of this information i know you're going to do which i'd love to participate in a longevity uh experiment, uh, yeah. experiment starting um in beginning january. of january, january with with deepak chopra with deepak chopra and deepak is is a pioneer he's a trailblazer and he has he has uh, he's been tirelessly working for 40 odd years talking about mind body medicine and i i truly consider him as a leader and a pioneer in this field and i think we are going to talk about the longevity experiment starting from january so please stay tuned um at the choprafoundation.org and what we are going to talk about it what are the real tools that make you live longer mm. and feel younger and more importantly understand various techniques and tools with the latest science and the ancient wisdom mm. and we are going to engage into a dialogue with experts that they are going to talk and inspire many people that this is what you should be doing this is the time best time to go to sleep this is the best food to eat this is how you should practice mindfulness all of these tools that we are going to take pearls and pearls of wisdom from all the ancient tradition and give it more of a simplified applicable practical wisdom to many people so the longevity experiment please stay tuned that's number one thing mm. second thing um, i am based in uh, northern california in a lovely place called santa cruz i love santa cruz okay it's a wonderful beach town and i have a clinic called as ayurvedic healing and we have an integrative wellness and panchakarma clinic myself my wife who is also an ayurvedic doctor my son who is also an ayurvedic doctor so it's a family practice literally yeah <laughs> i love that <laughs> and so we are 
uh, we are helping more and more people who come through the door and uh, all the diet, personalized medicine, lifestyle guidance, uh, medical astrology, panchakarma, detoxification, so various tools and we absolutely love what we do and we are so excited like little kid to share this and sit and chat with you yes. and even though we are doing it for such a long time but it gives us more energy and it makes us come alive. We have a website called ayurvedichealing.net ayurvedichealing.net a-y-u-r-v-e-d-i-c healing.net and, uh, and we'll link that below in the show notes. Perfect. And uh, we have wonderful products. We have wonderful services. We have courses, uh, educational courses that we teach. And we go around the country uh, conducting retreats, giving classes, workshops, seminars. And that's that's what we feel, that, that what our dharma is, that what our mission is. And uh, I think touching more and more lives, it makes you feel good about yourself mm -hmm. and keeps you busy. And it, it allows you to to really blend your purpose and passion together. Mm. That's what I wanted to actually kind of move towards a close with, is this notion of dharma and this notion of purpose and passion. Because I think so many people, if you will, that's the existential crisis, I think, I think so. underlying a lot of the mental health crisis and a lot of the, the challenges that we face is, is I think people feel a bit lost in what their unique uh, unique purpose is. Can you share a little bit about your orientation as it relates to Dharma? And you, to me, and as an acknowledgement, one of the things I, I really admire about you is you occur to me as someone who is so deeply rooted in your sense of your purpose and your Dharma. And it's clear that you are committed in your work and you are truly passionate about what you do. And I know some people listening don't necessarily feel that same level of clarity yet as it relates to their dharma. So any insights maybe that you can share? Also, for those listening, I mean, you traveled with, you know, Maharishi Makesh Yogi. You've worked deeply with uh, with with Deepak Chopra. Uh, you're a very humble man, which I which I love. But you you've had some, I think, some very unique experiences, which have probably contributed to your perspective on dharma. And we all, and we all have different experiences and we allow the life to guide us into places. But as we identify, and the word dharma is a Sanskrit word which takes many pages to describe what exactly it means actually, but it simply means as if uh, what's your rightful duty mm. is and what rings bell and what rings true for you. Uh, by doing which you gain energy, mm. that's what dharma is. And uh, it's, it's if you like what you do and if you're doing what you're liking and if you see it benefits someone else, you are in your dharma to a certain extent. And I do see quite a few people who feel a bit lost, who feel as if what they're doing is, is not making a big difference around or they're not happy, even though they're making a lot of money and everything, but they still feel a little bit lost and unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I think the discussion should happen that how to really align and what are the things that you're doing that you don't like about. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's a mindful activity and if we can engage them in finding something. So it's not that everybody has to put on saffron robes and go out and changing world. Whatever you're doing, if you do it in a mindful way and you start loving and liking and respecting yourself and what it does to you, I think you just need to change the attitude just a little bit in order for you to be productive. And slowly you will, you will set the right kind of intentions and move through things where you can make the right changes in your existing work that becomes more suitable. 
that becomes more conducive. Instead of running away from something and restarting things over and over again. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key. Any workplace that uses your skills, that uses your talents, that you're receiving appreciation is good for you. Mm. And I think it's, it's a discussion that I often have with my patients. So uh, it's feeling appreciated, feeling rewarded, feeling content to a certain extent and not chasing something uh, which is much more elusive in nature. Mm. And, and finding your path and purpose. It's not always what pays your bills, but how you live your life in, in accordance with everything else that flows around it. Mm. What really makes you uh, feel a little bit more respected in your own eyes. Mm, I love that distinction, feeling respected in your own eyes. Final question for this time. I would love to love to do this again, doctor. Yeah. Um, what is your notion of a peak mind? It's a great question. Great question. A peak mind, and mind, again, pardon me for going back to my Sanskrit understanding of the mind itself, is a tool, mm. is a vehicle, is a vehicle that allows you to do the self-control of your mind, to discipline yourself, to regulate the sensory experiences, the way you're absorbing the perceptions. Mind has a capacity of the sensory function as well as the motor function both. Okay, so it's a unique entity, I would say. Mm -hmm. And that locomotor function, the sensomotor function that we talk about is very unique. So when we say a peak mind is an awakened mind, mm -hmm. a mind who is able to see through the perceptions and regulate them and filter them and buffer them to their own suitability and engage into a shakti, a mana shakti, where it makes your mind even more potent, makes it more of a sharper tool, okay? And sharper tool doesn't mean in a harsh way. It means it's able to allow you to see through the experience. It allows you to see through the experience. It creates a heightened sense of awareness, clairvoyance, clairaudience. We use these terms just through the sensory organ, but it's the mind who is the ruler of that sense organ. It's the mind which is clairvoyant, not your eyes. It's your mind which is clairaudience, not your ears. Mm. So every perception that you learn and if you use your mind to learn the art of metabolizing experiences, I think you are partially enlightened. Hmm. Dr. Suhas, bringing profound wisdom. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I'm Thank honored. You. We'll do this again, I hope.